Turn in your ancient words to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to answer a question this morning. Not sure if it's a question you're asking. I hope it is. Where will we find the provision of God for the mission of the church? Where will we find the provision of God for the mission of the church? What I mean by that is, where are we going to find what we need to proclaim to be proclaimers of the gospel in the place that God has put us? Have you ever been amazed at how scared you are to talk about the gospel to somebody who's never heard it? Are you ever amazed at how fearful you are to talk to your neighbor? It might be easier to go to another country to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ who doesn't know him than it is to talk to your neighbor person living right next door, who you're going to see again and again and again every day. Where are you going to find the, the power that it's going to take, the provision you're going to need to be faithful with the mission of the church, the gospel to the world, the planting of churches around the world, the strengthening of churches that are planted around the world. Where are we going to find what we need? That's the question of the morning. When I was in the Philippines uh, uh, a couple of months ago, this is part of the uh, English-speaking paper from in Manila, and there's an article in here that I was astounded as I read. Bulacan pastor dies in a 125-foot deep, deep pit. Pastor died uh, the, the week. This was what August 7th. That week. Uh, an evangel- evangelical pastor died in a 125-foot deep pit. The story goes on to tell of this pastor who on a Tuesday called a member of his church and said, come on over, we're going to get rich today. So his parishioner came over and the pastor said, I'm going down into this pit and I'm going to find some gold bars that are reportedly buried there. And the, and the article tells of the pastor descending into that pit, sometime later coming rushing up out of that pit, only not in time, only shaking and falling back into the pit. The friend that he had called to come and get rich with him uh, decides he's going to go to, going to try to go down and rescue him, only he goes a little slower, realizes there's no air in the bottom of that pit, and comes up and lives to tell the story. Well, now here's an evangelical pastor who thinks the provision of God for the mission of the church, at least monetarily, is in a 125-foot pit. But I've got to tell you, he wouldn't be the first pastor to look at the financial statement of the church in search of the provision of God for the mission of the church. Uh, the reason I know that? Here's one. There have been times I've looked at the financial statement and says, do we have what we do need to do, the work that God has given us to do? The answer to that question won't be found in the financial statement. going to be found in what God has to say to us. In verse 9 of the passage, are you open there? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Here's Paul's answer. Here's the ancient words answer. At least a, a summary. We're going to look at the 15 verses, but here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the answer. Here's what Paul says to, the, to a church in Corinth. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. Three parts to that verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Say it with me. 
For you know the grace of... I don't hear you. You ready? You can look. It's okay. You can look. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. That's the theme of this passage right there. This is kind of a mission Sunday at Rock Valley Bible Church. We're talking about the mission of the church. Where will we have, where will we find what we need for the mission of the church? Say it with me once more. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. The aim of this passage is found in verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. What's God's provision for the work and the mission of the church? The grace of God. And his, his purpose, his aim, his purpose in writing this portion of this letter is so that the church at Corinth would come to know about the grace of God more than they do now. That's my prayer for us this morning. For some of us, grace is only a theological term. There is no reality in it. To find the reality of grace, some of us might think we have to go down into a 125-foot pit to find what we need to do the work of the mission of the church. Not so. Not so. Our aim this morning is the same as Paul's. That when you leave this place, you're going to understand something about the grace of God more than what you do now. That's been my prayer for myself all week long. Let's pray. Father, Paul says things to, to us about us that we struggle to believe. That we know the grace of God. Father, we do know a little but we don't know enough. Teach us. I've been that Filipino pastor who's been looking elsewhere other than to your undeserved favor for your work. Paul says things about you that we rejoice to believe that you became poor. You came to earth and died taking our place so that we might become rich. Father, we believe it. Help our unbelief. Help us to believe and rejoice in a God who loves His people so much that He sent His Son to die in our place so that He could give us grace and mercy instead of wrath. And all God's people said, Amen. If you look at the first five verses of this passage, let me, read, let me read them to you, but you just follow along there in whatever translation you have. Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches in Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves to the Lord first and then to us by the will of God. You ever tried to describe the grace of God to somebody? See, it's one of the things that might inhibit you from talking to your neighbor across the fence. Okay? How would you describe the grace of God? What is it? Well, Paul wants to describe God's grace that had come to the churches in a place called Macedonia, to the, to the churches that were in a place called Corinth. And he uses words like affliction, and joy, and poverty, and liberality. Affliction that's accompanied by joy. Not like in our day, 
accompanied by panic attacks. Okay? Affliction accompanied and poverty accompanied by liberality, not by the thought, we're never going to make it. Kids, in your kids' outline, see there under Roman numeral 1, there's a question. Who would have thought that God's grace would look like this? You see that question? You're filling the blanks with these. Here they are. Great pain and great... What do you think? Joy. J-O-Y. Very poor, P-O-O-R, yet very generous. Let me give you a little context, adults. In Acts 16, don't need to turn there, we're told that Paul and his co-workers wanted to take the gospel into Asia. But an amazing thing, almost an unthinkable thing happened. We're told, and this is a quote, the Holy Spirit forbid them to do so. So, they thought, well, okay, we can't go there. Let's head north, the Bithynia. Here's a quote. But the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So now, they find themselves in a place called Troas, not knowing where to go. You ever been there? Not Troas. (laughs) Not Troas. But not knowing where to go. God provided His direction in the form of a vision. I've never had one of those. Never had one of those. But Paul did. And in this vision, a man from Macedonia appears to Paul and appeals to him. And he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul concludes that this is God calling him and he leaves immediately, taking with him the message of undeserved mercy for sinners in Christ Jesus. In fact, this message of undeserved mercy for sinners in Christ is the biggest part of what Paul has in mind and what he's making known to the Corinthians that it is the grace of God that has come to him and has now come to people in a place called Macedonia. Do you remember when the grace of God first came to you? you now, maybe it, was, maybe it wasn't the Apostle Paul. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a VBS teacher. For me, it was a pastor. He, his name was Pastor Brubaker. I was about 11 and a half. And I remember when I heard him describe on a particular Sunday the gospel. Now, he had described this many, many, many other times before, and I didn't hear it. But that Sunday I heard it. God had opened my ears. He opened my eyes. And the things that he said for the first time penetrated into my mind and my heart. And, and I began to see that when he talked about a sinner, that was me. When he talked about a God of grace and mercy in Christ, that's, that's who I needed. And when he said, if you want him, come repent. And I couldn't get there quick enough. I couldn't get there quick enough. That's the grace and mercy of God, isn't it? Paul writes of God's grace as being present in a great ordeal of affliction. See, Paul's early days in Macedonia were both a joy and a baptism of fire. When he got to Philippi for the first time, he met a woman called Lydia. Now listen to this. She's described as a worshiper of God who didn't know Jesus. A worshiper of God who didn't know Jesus. You ever met anybody like that? People who know God, but they don't know Jesus. A lot of people like that. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who who believe they know God, but they don't know Jesus. That was Lydia. Paul came. He brought the message of undeserved mercy for sinners in Christ Jesus. She heard it, and a woman who had only been a worshiper of God now was a worshiper of Jesus. And she was redeemed. 
And she opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the gospel. And she and her household were saved and baptized. And the first thing she did is she said to Paul and Silas, My house is your house. My house is your house. Come stay with us. Come stay with us. She received God's grace. And the first thing she does is she turns around and she gives grace. In a way, Lydia's like the coffee pot back there. Only in a little way. It's got a spigot on it. Somebody fills it up, puts the coffee in it, perks it, and because it's got a spigot on it, I had a cup of coffee this morning. That's like Lydia. God filled her up with with His Son. God filled her up with His grace. And she opened the spigot and Paul and Silas got all wet with it. And they had a place to stay. But the affliction came when Paul cast a demon out of a girl. A young slave girl. Her master saw that their prophet was lost, that she would never again predict somebody's future, read their palm or whatever it was that she did. They, These merchants told the city officials, the city officials imprisoned Paul and Silas. They beat them, they tore their clothes, threw them in prison. And you know the rest of this story. At midnight, there's an earthquake. And the jail doors are opened wide. And the jailer is certain he's going to be killed so he's by his master, so he figures I'll just beat him to it. And he's about to take his life. Paul yells out, don't do that. We haven't left. We're still here. And the rest of the story is Paul and Silas proclaim the message of the gospel of God in Christ Jesus of His mercy and grace for sinners who don't deserve it. And he was saved. His family was saved. And the first thing he did, he said to Paul and Silas, My house is your house. My clothes are your clothes. My food is your your food. Come on. You see, the jailer was like that coffee pot. He got filled up. He had a spigot. He got poured out. That's what the grace of God looks like, dear ones. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't think I've got a spigot on me. Yeah, that could be. That could be. See, the worst thing you want to be is, is somebody uh, like a, a, a paint can that says Christian paint or something on it, but there's no way to pour it out. It just always stays in there. Dear ones, the nature of grace is when it's received, it gets poured out. Paul says, I want to tell you about the grace of God. I want your thinking to be changed by what he tells them. If you say, I've got the grace of God, he's poured it into me, then there ought to be a spigot somewhere that's getting opened so it can be poured out wherever He desires. Let's go over our verse again. You ready? Let me say it for you. Let me say it for you. Part 1. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. Let's say it. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. And now we found out that we become rich so we can give it away. And that's what Paul is rejoicing in. The Macedonians can't wait to give it away. It's what characterizes them. Paul knew the great deal of affliction well, and now so would the Macedonians. When Paul and his friends left Philippi, the irate city officials and the crowds who had torn Paul's robes, beat him and threw him in jail, were now the neighbors of these new Christian Macedonians. How would you like to have a neighbor like that? 
and they were left in a great ordeal of affliction too. But just as Paul and Silas's response to their ordeal was characterized by affliction and joy, so too these newly saved, these new recipients of God's grace, these Macedonians responded to their own affliction and poverty with joy and liberality. And Paul told them about and when Paul told them about the needs of their brothers in Jerusalem thousands of miles away, they couldn't wait to give to meet the needs of their brothers there. Verse 3, just look there, verse 3, Paul says, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us for the favor of participation in support of the saints. Now he's talking about the saints in Jerusalem. These Macedonian believers were overwhelmed with the undeserved grace that they had received from God, and they responded as those who knew that, God who, that the God who delivered up His own Son for them would along with Jesus freely give them all things that they would need. In other words, they trusted God. They believed that if they gave all they had at that moment, He, God, would replace what they gave to their brothers in Jerusalem according to His will. Now, time out just a second, kids. See the next question? How generous were they? That's the question, you see it? And then here's the fill in the blank. They gave themselves to the Lord, L-O-R-D, and to us. That's verse 5, adults. The response of these dear gospel people went beyond what Paul and Silas had expected. They first gave themselves to the Lord. They said to the Lord, We're yours, Lord. Everything we have is yours. And then they gave themselves to Paul for whatever the will of God would want. And as the apostle told them of his heart to meet the needs of their brothers in Jerusalem... Their, Paul's heart became their heart. See, their poverty didn't get in the way of their giving any more than their affliction got in the way of their joy. Now, let's, let's just review this, this, this point. It's important. Remember the people. When they went to Macedonia, the first person they met was Lydia. She became, God saved her. God poured out His grace and mercy on her. And the first thing she does is says, my house is your house. Then they meet a Philippian jailer who God saves. And the first thing he says is, my house is your house. My food is your food. My clothes are your clothes. My money is your money. My family is your family. And the Macedonians, when they receive, the the churches in Macedonia in general, when they hear when they receive God's grace and are saved and then they hear of a need among the brothers in Jerusalem, our money is your money. You see, from the beginning of this letter, everybody, just flip. If you've got your Bible open, go back to chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. If you've got a New American Standard Bible... I want you to read with me verses 3 and 4. If you don't have a a New American Standard Bible, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to have a New American Standard Bible. But the ones of you who do, I want you to read with me. The rest of you just listen to what we're reading. This is verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a circle that begins with God. He is the, the, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And 
our Lord Jesus Christ is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And, and He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can just keep it to ourselves. No. So that whatever way we've been comforted, we can comfort others. His grace to us, His grace to others. We've got a spigot. We've got a spigot. We're a, a gospel coffee pot. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Second point, last point. As Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he's being carried along now. See, there's times of great encouragement in every pastor's life. There's, there were times of encouragement in the apostles' life, and this was one of them. You see, the way that, that the Macedonians had responded to the gospel in, was so encouraging to Paul that he thought, he thought, you know, maybe it's just possible that those hard-hearted Corinthians could be impacted the same as those Macedonians have. He had tried dealing with Corinthians before. Not, he was, that was a discouraging thing. But he thinks, now he's buoyed. He's, he's really encouraged by the Macedonians. So he sends Titus to Corinth. And he says, go there, Titus, and remind them of the grace of God. Remind them of what they said they would do. And so that's what happens. And as we come to this last point, this second point, last point in the message this morning, the question is this, how will there be gospel equality? See, that's what he's looking for. Down in verse 13, he's looking, he's looking for a response from the Corinthians that would be a, 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 a response of equality. Gospel equality. Will there be gospel equality is probably the question in his own mind. Will the church at Corinth respond in the same way that the Macedonians have? Paul's heart is that Corinth would be just like Macedonia in this way. In their love for Christ and in their gospel generosity to their brothers in other places. Look at verses 7 and 8. Now, remember, Paul's writing this to Christians in the churches of Corinth. And he says in verse 7, Just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in the love we have inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love. See, Paul tells them that this is not a command. It's a test. It's a gospel test. See, he says proving. That's, the word proving there is a word that could be translated testing through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love. The NIV Anybody have the New International Version? Okay. NIV says it this way. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The others are the Macedonians. New Living Translation. Anybody have that one? Okay, I didn't think so. Let me, let me read that one for you. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the Macedonians. Kids. Kids, time out. See the question? Who would have thought God's grace would help us like this? That's the question. Here's the answer. How, do, how does God's grace help us? It helps us to pass the most important test of all. It's the test of, what do you think, kids? Love. Yes. Put that in there. It's the test of love. See, the, the comparison that Paul is talking about as he writes to Corinth isn't fundraising thermometers on the wall. 
How much did the Macedonians give? How much are the Corinthians giving? It's not that. That's not what he's doing. Rather, it's comparing the generosity and the love of their hearts. Not just a response to a great humanitarian debt disaster. But by focusing on the desire to give that flows out of a love for Christ that's been lavished on them so freely. Dear ones, nobody in this church ever is going to ask you to give without that. And you should never give without it. It's a waste of your money. Keep it and spend it on something else. You give out of a heart of love for what Christ has given to you or don't give it all. Keep it. Might as well get something out of it because it won't mean anything to God. It will mean zero to God. So if you've written a check to put in the offering this morning before you put it in, maybe it'd be good to talk to your wife, talk to your husband, say, hey, is this a response to our love for Christ and His mercy and grace to us? Is that what it is? I, I tell you, I don't know how much money would still be in my, my bank account if I'd, if I'd have made the decisions to give like that. I have failed so massively giving out of a sense of obligation that does not come from God. Don't do it that way. Give out a sense of love. So here's our verse again. Now we're right here at verse 9. Let me, tell, let me say it to you again. Then, then I'm going to have you say it with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, I do. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. That, that you through His poverty might become rich. Say it with me. For you know the great. I don't hear you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. See, that's what Paul writes. He says, you know it, and I want you to know it, that it was for your sake that Jesus gave up all. And that in His giving up everything, you have become rich in the only thing that counts. You know, the words of... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, don't turn there, just listen, must have been going through their heads. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If this is me, and this is the righteousness of Christ, His righteousness never leaves. It never leaves. I've asked this question from this pulpit before. I'm going to ask it again. When you sin, what happens? Some of you might think this is what happens. That the righteousness that you gained when you repented goes away. And you're naked of righteousness. That's not true. You are still clothed with the righteousness of Christ, even in your sin. Even in your sin. That gospel thought, that gospel truth is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. It's so massive that your sins, past, present, and future, are underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. They have been, are, and will be forgiven. Can you say amen? You never lose the righteousness of Christ once He clothes you with it. And God looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ. If that weren't true, you'd be smashed. Paul's saying, give a gift. Ooh, wait a minute. Got to get the kids in here. One more thing. Last fill in the blank, kids. To give a gift that matches the gift Jesus gave. Sacrificial. What? Love, yes. Sacrificial love. Corinthians, give a gift that reflects the generosity of God. And then in verse 10 he says, 
This is his opinion. Now, he just said, I have no, I'm not commanding you to do this. This is a test. But here's my opinion. Verse 10. And I, gave, I give my opinion on this matter. For this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but to desire to do it. Hmm. Why is this such a great opportunity for the Corinthians? Paul tells them, he reminds them, a year ago, you had a gospel heart. You heard about the needs of our brothers in Jerusalem and you went on record. We're going to help. We're going to give. We're going to do it. But over that year, while they were supposed to be gathering, their heart became cold. Their spigot never opened. Their can was just closed. Paul had probably let other churches know, Corinth is going to help. They said they would. And he was as excited about that as he was about the Macedonian generosity. This is a great opportunity for you Corinthians for a unique kind of equality to be put on display. Not money equality, but gospel equality. What is that? It's two things. It's a heart to give that flow out, flows out of love for Christ and His gift to you of undeserved mercy to sinners. That's one thing that it is. Secondly, it's an ability to give that flows out of what God has given. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. It flows, it's, it's an ability to give that flows out of what He gives. They are to give, they aren't to give what they don't have. They don't have to go out and take out a loan in order to give. God has given. You ever heard that? Some guy on TV saying, you want to be blessed by God? You want to give seed, a seed gift? Go out and do whatever you have to do to get that money. Borrow it if you have to. Well, he must not have read 2 Corinthians 8. He would never tell you to do that. You give out of what you've been given. Paul's message to the church at Corinth is really at the heart of it, is the heart of it. If your heart of generosity matches the Macedonian's heart of generosity, the whole need will be met because you have more. God has given you more. If your generosity matches theirs, there will be gospel equality. And you know what? Paul is saying there must be gospel equality. The church here, the church there, the church in every part of the world is going to get the same message. And they don't have to give, this, give the same amount of money. They have to give with the same heart for the mission because of what they've received. Now, look how Paul ends this thought in verse 14. There's another aspect of gospel equality Paul is looking to be, have put on display. Verse 14, At this present time, your abundance, being a supply for their want or their need, that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. What can the believers in Jerusalem who are destitute? They have nothing. What can they give to the churches in Corinth and Macedonia so that there's going to be this kind of equality? Well, look at chapter 9, verse 12. See it? 2 Corinthians 9.12 for, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, but here it comes. This is what they can give. This is what Jerusalem is going to give back, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. When they receive this gift from the Macedonian brothers, from the Corinthian Christians, they're going to say, Thank you, God, for putting this on their heart, for giving them a heart to give. And especially those Macedonians. They have nothing and they gave everything. Look at verse 13. Because of the proof given by this ministry, 
they, the Jerusalem brothers, will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Do you see that? This gift is the proving of of what they say they are. That they're Christians. They've embraced the gospel of Christ. This gift. The the Jerusalem Christians are going to glorify God. Oh, you're so great. You know what the greatest part of what this is, God? We now know that those Corinthians truly are yours. They're our brothers. Those Macedonian believers truly are yours. They're our brothers. Glory to God. That's what they're going to do. They're going to thank Him. They're going to give glory to Him. Look at verse 14. And they, our brothers in Jerusalem, also by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. What are they going to give back? Thanksgiving to God. Glory to God. And then they're going to say, we need to pray for our brothers in Corinth. We need to pray for our brothers in Macedonia. And they yearn for them. They love them and they yearn for them. Oh, I wish we could go there. I wish we could be face to face with them. We love them so much. Why? Because we share the love of God. And now we know it. Look at verse 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. This is not a new message, folks. This is the message of the Bible. This message is in the Old Testament as much as in the New. During Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, God provided for them with manna. He told them, I want you to go out every morning and gather the manna that you need for today. And in Exodus 16, you don't need to turn there, just write it down. You might want to read this more later. Moses writes documenting how this worked. If you had a big family, how many of you got more than five in your family? Raise your hand. Okay, how many have less than five? Okay. And I see some raising their hands who are going to have maybe five soon. But anyway, if you had more, a bigger family, you had permission each morning to go out and collect more. If you had a smaller family, if you had some big eaters in that family, all right, connect, collect enough for today for the big eaters too. If you got a small family, just, just collect enough for what you need today. And Moses says, it was an amazing thing. The ones who collected more didn't have an excess. The ones who collected less didn't have any lack. But there was a problem. A problem did arise. Some, as you might expect, found it difficult to trust God. That tomorrow he would give manna again. So what did they do? Well, you tell me, what would you do? You'd get tomorrow's today. Say, yeah, it was just in case. Just in case. Just in case. Let's get tomorrow's today. No. So they would they would gather they they would gather tomorrow's today. They they would they would hoard rather than trust. Keeping today's manna, some thought, well, I tell you what, let's do this. We're not going to get more. Let's just let's just eat half today. Save some for tomorrow, just in case God doesn't give. Same problem, isn't it? Same problem. Just having great difficulty trusting God. Now, the Scriptures say that what happened, whether they got too much or whether they just tried to keep today's for tomorrow, the same thing happened to both of them. It bred worms and became foul. I love the NIV version of this. It was full of maggots and began to swell, a smell. That's what happened. If you went out and you grabbed too much, thinking God wouldn't supply tomorrow, or if you didn't eat what you had today, thinking he wouldn't supply tomorrow. It, same thing happened to both. There was maggots in the jar, and it began to stink. See, manna equality was in whose hands? God's hands. 
Manna equality was in God's hands. The issue was trusting Him. The message of God to the church at Corinth is clear. I've given you so much. I've given you my son. I've given you great material blessings. Trust me and give as I direct. If you hoard what I give, it shows something. It shows that you've forgotten me. It shows that you've forgotten my generosity to you as well as the reason for which I give so generously to you. And why does he give so generously to them? Because they're they're a gospel pot. He pours it in and there's a spigot and it gets poured out. Now, it doesn't matter if you're an adult or a teenager or a kid. You can do this. If you're his child, he is pouring into you. And on whatever level, if you've got a dollar, if you've got a hundred dollars, or you've got a million dollars, it all came from the same place, didn't it? It came from him. So you want to be, God, what do you want me to do with this? And then you give as he directs. Do you remember? Remember at the beginning of this letter? He comforts. The, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort comforts His people so that they will comfort others with what they have received in the form of comfort from His hand. Alright, let's, let's just close this up here. Every gift we give is to be a grace gift. That's, that's the message. Every gift we give is to be a grace gift. Now let me just remind you let me remind you of Lydia. Okay? Let me remind you of Lydia. When God saved her and poured out His grace on her, the first thing, and it's recorded in Acts 16, the first thing she did is she said to those who brought the message, My house is your house. Come stay with me. The Philippian jailer, when God poured out His grace on him, the first thing he said to Paul and Silas, Come stay with me eat my food, wear my clothes, and preach the gospel to my family. He gave of the grace that he had received. And the Macedonians did the same. Every gift is a grace gift. You know, you might want to write this one down. In fact, I want you to write this reference down. I'm going to read it to you, but Psalm 116, 12 to 14. 116, 12 to 14. Let me read it to you. The psalmist is, is asking a question. What shall I give to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? What shall I give for all His benefits toward me? That's a great question. Every one of us ought to be asking that question. What shall I give? Do you, who do you think's got an answer to that? Who's got an answer to that question? What shall I give? God does, doesn't he? Here's what the psalmist says. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation and I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. And I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Now you've got to get the picture. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. The cup he's already filled. And I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord and I'm going to say, God, what do you want me to give you for this? And he says, out of whatever that is, Out of whatever that is, I'm going to pay my vow to the Lord. You pay your vows to the Lord out of what He gives. Psalmist had it right. There's there's an old, old gospel song. And it's a prayer. Good prayer. And it's like this, this prayer of the psalmist in 116. In the refrain, he says, the writer says, Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Can you picture it? Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up. Come and quench the thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Now, I'm going to change the words of the hymn writer right here. Help me give, knowing that you'll give me more. 
Help me give, trusting that you'll give me more. Bow your heads, would you? Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us to trust you. You have given us so much, you wouldn't think we'd have that problem, but we do because of our flesh. But you know that. And you've said to us, call upon me, and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. And the psalmist says, what shall I give for all you've done for me? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll lift up the cup of salvation. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord and I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Father, all of us together, as we apply this message of how you will provide for the mission of the church in the world, cry out, fill our cup. We lift it up. Come and quench the thirsting of our souls. Bread of heaven, feed us. And then help us give trusting that you'll give us more. And I want you to talk to God just in the privacy of your own heart. You ever been stingy with God? You ever been unwilling to give what you knew He was asking you to give? Maybe it's the gospel to a friend, but you were unwilling. He had filled your cup, your grace cup, but you wouldn't give it away. You ever had somebody actually ask you, tell me about God? And you said some things, but you didn't tell them that the way, the reason that you know about God is because you, He showed you that you were a sinner, the worst of sinners. But He showed you that He was merciful to sinners and He forgave you. And He's forgiven you again and again and again. You ever been stingy with the Gospel? you ever been stingy with your gifts? Have you ever found yourself saying, I'd, I'd give, but what are we going to do about tomorrow? Tell them where you need help. Tell them what you're worrying about. And ask them to help you. Amen. One more time. Verse 9. I'm going to say it to you and then you say it back with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake He, be- yet for your sake he became poor that you through His poverty might become rich. Say it with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor that you through His poverty might become rich. Dirk. You want to come up here? Dirk is uh, an illustration of uh, a lot of things. (laughs) But the thing we have him up here for is, uh, I'm going to let him tell you about this, but he's heading off to a place that not many of us would go to do some things that are difficult. And uh, so why don't you tell us, where are you going and why are you going there? I'll be... I'll be going...